I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. everyone what is up it is me ewan from what culture star wars today with another episode of the what culture star wars podcast today as well joined by the bodacious ben roy turner say hello ben roy long live the empire long live the empire yes we have seen another episode of the mandalorian season two uh, today chapter 11 or the heiress and we are both big fans this is going to be a lovely little in-depth discussion into the episode. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably just turn around and maybe scran some baby frog eggs and then just go and go and watch it because it's great. It's really good. Um, ups and downs at this point should be live on the What Culture main channel. So I'd encourage you to check out my review for the show there. But this will be a nice little in-depth discussion regarding it. Ben Roy, what did you think of season two, episode three? Massive up for no baby murder this episode, I'm going to say straight <laughs> off the bat. No baby murdered. Yeah, <laughs> there was almost like an arc there. But no, watching this from the outset, it seemed I was worried for like the first maybe five seconds of the episode. Or is, is this going to be let's get the ship fixed episode? And um, as soon as a certain event happened, he's like, oh, no, this is going in a totally different direction. And from there on, I guess I'll leave you to reveal this moment in just a second. Uh, yeah, I, I was all in. And even, I've got to say, for the wrestling fans out there, seeing um, one wrestler <laughs> named Sasha Banks popping up and her being someone who... you from the trailers made her look like she might be a Jedi, but then, ha, no, she's not. She's someone totally different. I, this one here out of the park, unlike last week. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for those who need a little bit of context, obviously at the end of the last um, episode, Mando gets his busted ass Peugeot of the skies into the, into, <laughs> into space to slowly crawl his way across to this planet, which I, I keep on forgetting the name of the planet, but it's like, it's populated by the Mon Calamari people and the Quarrens who yeah. share the same space, but whatever they make it to the planet. They have a very choppy re-entry, which I thought was very tense and interesting. And I was terrified that her bloody eggs would crash all over the floor. Literally, as she's just there looking bad and she's trying to hold on to the leather. I was, I was like, honestly, you can't put this poor frog woman through any more torture. But whatever. After all that, yeah. After the last yeah, exactly. Spiders. 
But whenever they make it down, uh, they reunite Frog Lady and Frog Husband, which is a very sweet moment. I really like that. Um, and then they point Mando in the direction of a local Quarren barkeep who dispenses chowder out of like uh, these tubes that are all over the ceiling, which I'm a big fan of. And then he points them to another Quarren who's like, sure, I can help you find other Mandalorians. And that is literally how he sounds. And they go on a nice little boat trip, only it's not so nice because the Quarrens betray them and kick baby. <laughs> the child like he's a seal just into the depths of this giant squid monster and you think it's it's all very sad and mean and and, and then obviously the big big reveal of the episode the mandalorians in question are indeed on this planet and are not just any old mandalorians no mm-hmm. this is bo katan and her Mandalorian brethren. Uh, and Bogatan, obviously, you know, if, if you if you like Star Wars, if you like Star Wars The Clone Wars, if you like Star Wars Rebels, you know she is a huge deal, voiced by Katie Sackhoff in both The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. And she, of course, reprises her role in live action. And I have to say, Ben Roy, I was giddy. I made all sorts of, like, ridiculous noises when I saw her just come onto the screen. And I knew, I knew it was her from the armor, but when she took the mask off, the helmet off, sorry, I was like, yes, it's Bogatan. She's here. And I know it was all spoiled by casting leaks like a year ago but that still doesn't make the fact that we've got another great expanded universe character obviously Cobb Vanth was in the first episode and now we've got Bo-Katan and it was just amazing so much like in episode nine when Rey and Kylo could sort of feel each other through the force I feel like I was in the room with you when that happened because I knew at that point (laughs) that you'd be jumping for joy out of your seat we're the dyads Um, yeah and i someone like me who's watched about 74 million of the 4 billion episodes of the clone wars so far like i've made it through most of it but i still haven't like delved all the way in and even through rebels like rebels i've dived in to points like i've watched like a lot of the mall stuff i've watched a lot of the mando mm-hmm. stuff like uh through like in passing on cartoon network when we have it here or say on youtube and even i was excited for this because like, seeing characters like this being realized in uh just real life which has been like um i don't know i'm trying to think of the word but i can't and it look, <laughs> looking so genuine like it just fitting in straight away and i thought it might be jarring bringing a lot of the clone wars or rebel stuff in just because you know we're so used to these characters in mm. cgi but it just fit straight away and it was an awesome entrance but i'm also worried about frog lady because was frog lady <laughs> lying the entire time to mando because it doesn't seem like that her contact ever knew the mandalorians were there yeah i mean i guess uh, they would have known that there was the pi- mandalorian pirates in the area kind of harassing imperial ships i kind of inferred that from there and then he pointed them to the barkeep who i guess i I don't think the husband was in on the conspiracy to 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 get the best scar off mando but no you'd like again i totally agree it was such a cool reveal and as someone it's difficult for me because like i'm a massive star wars dog you're a massive star wars dog we're aware of how you know all these characters and how they exist and stuff um but I am most curious to hear what people who aren't familiar with these characters kind of react to their introductions. Personally, I think, you know, I'm trying to remove my own kind of association and love for the Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, I still think they introduce them very organically. You know, they introduce the mystery of the Darksaber and reveal Bo-Katan's connection to that, which I thought was interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, if you were aware of Star Wars Rebels, you know that Bo-Katan gets the Darksaber in that show. And I was very fearful that when they announced that Katie Sackhoff was going to be in this series, I had kind of fearful that maybe it would have been a flash flashback that we would have seen Moff Gideon kill Bo-Katan to get the Darksaber but I'm I'm relieved that's not the case and it's really cool how they're building towards that massive conflict between 
the Mandalorian clans and Gideon. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves there. I kind of wanted to touch on a really important moment that I like that, that came when they took their helmets off. Now, um, we've known for a while now that Din Djarin was adopted by Death Watch, the eponymous Mandalorian terrorist group who were all traditionalists. If you're aware of the Clone Wars, you know they were led by a man called Pre Vizsla, who uh, was actually played by John Favreau, so that's a nice little connection there. Um, he was, an, I think, he was supposedly an ancestor ancestor of Tar Vizsla, who was the first, you know, Mandalorian Jedi who had the dark saber. And basically, Death Watch wanted to take down the Mandalorian government who had pursued a policy of neutrality and pacifism during the Clone Wars and restore Mandalore to its former, you know, um, glory days of waging war and, you know, terrifying Jedi and, and whatever. And obviously, um, you'll remember in that show that Bo-Katan was a member of Death Watch. You know, she was kind of had a feud with her sister, Duchess Satine Kreese, who was obviously Obi-Wan's love, who doesn't exactly get a happy ending in the Clone Wars. Um, and you'll remember that pre Vizsla, um, Bo-Katan, and Gar Saxon, who is the one remaining member of Death Watch who kind of allies with Maul when Maul takes over the group. They were all taking their helmets off, on and off, all the time. Um, but it's interesting to me that, you know, they kind of go into a bit of lore here. And, and you know, there was a confusion in, in Mandalorian season one where they introduced that whole thing of, oh, Mandalorians don't ever take their helmet off when we're like, well, we've just seen these characters do it all the time. And the, the explanation here is that Din was a child of the Watch. And I'm going to assume here, I'm just inferring that all children of the Watch were raised to be, quote unquote, better or more traditional Mandalorians than the you know, the adult members of Death Watch, you know, taught to kind of honor the ways of the original Mandalore and never take off your helmet. And I kind of liked how that made Din more of an outsider in this episode. You know, he's not familiar with any of the Mandalorians bar his original clan, who I assume must all also be children of the Watch. And so I thought that was interesting. How did you read in that? Yeah, it, it, as soon as I took the helmets off, I was like, oh, there, here we go. And <laughs> he just, didn't just straight, Din, sorry, just straight up abandons them. Like, he's been looking for Mandalorians this whole time, uh, well, say this whole time, this whole season. And he just like, nah, I'm not having any of this. You're not, you've taken your helmet off. See you later. I said, wow. And only, only after they sort of, like, save him again and then sort of tease him in there with sort of promises of... Uh, more leads does he actually sort of like side of them and even then it's sort of like you know well kind of but not kind of and it was it's good to see but I also thought in the back of my mind this is gonna keep um, I'm the the name of the actor who plays Din is um, Pedro Pascal Pedro Pascal, because there's been rumours that he wanted to take his helmet off more. Like, mm -hmm. it seems like this is going to lead into a way that yep. he's going to yeah, be able to Yeah, that's what I'm guessing as well. Like, um, I, I don't know, This obviously this wasn't planned, but obviously this now opens up for him to accept that he can show his face. And I don't know, does does that ever lead into him going back to the jungle planet where they fought the ATST and meeting mm. uh, certain people there that he hid his face from and things like yeah. that? And just this, conf this internal conflict is just adding like a nice number layer to the show where you you kind of like this is the way no helmet off there that's it done and will he ever come into contact with some of the other mandalorians that he was with uh uh back in season one and will they see him with his helmet off and will that cause issues and there's so many things that can come from just the sheer fact that does this does this main character of a show take his helmet off and it's so interesting 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, one of the cool things I'm looking forward to with this season is is Din building his own clan uh, and really kind of learning what it means to be a Mandalorian and how it goes beyond just tradition and doing noble deeds. You know, even to begin with, when he was originally a Mandalorian, you know, he wasn't exactly the most ethical bounty hunter in the world. And, you know, he's still constantly learning to be the, the Mando that the child needs. And again, I think that's really interesting that he has gone from you know, because he, he wasn't born on Mandalore. He has now come to associate with a man, an imposter who was wearing Mandalorian armor of potentially someone who wasn't a real Mandalorian in, Co in Cobb Vanth and Boba Fett. And now we've got him interacting with the most prestigious, most, you know, elegant Mandalorians there are in, in Clan Kreese and, and Lady Bo-Katan, who is the rightful ruler of Mandalore, given that she wielded the Darksaber. So I just thought it was really interesting. And I'm looking forward to see how potentially given where what we know with Ahsoka, which we'll get to in a second, and, yeah. and what she got up to at the end of Star Wars Rebels, there is of course another Mandalorian who you could potentially interact with there as well. So given I've just, I've given the goose away, um, at the end of the episode, Bo-Katan reveals to Din Djarin that the Jedi that she knows is Ahsoka Tano. Now, um, at the end of Star Wars Rebels, and this, is, this might be a spoiler because even though you're probably going to get bits and bobs of Star Wars Rebels in The Mandalorian Season 2. I do want to preface that this might be a spoiler if you're planning on watching that series after, you know, seeing The Mando Season 2. But at the end of Star Wars Rebels, are you okay with this, Ben Roy? I should probably clarify this with you first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've seen so many bits and bobs, it's fine. Yeah. So at the end of Star Wars Rebels, Ezra Bridger, who's one of the main characters, one of the Jedi Knights of the show, um, basically takes up Grand Admiral Thrawn um, into hyperspace, into the unknown regions with the Pergils. So the Pergils are basically like giant space whales who create and ride their own hyperspace lanes. Uh, and at the end of the episode, Ahsoka and Sabine, this picks up after Return of the Jedi, they basically go, we're going to go find Ezra Bridger. We're going to go try and find our friend. And there's all sorts of stuff with the Force that's coming in with here. It's very exciting. And there have been rumors of a Star Wars Rebels sequel series for a while now, potentially to come after the Bad Batch show debuts next year. Um, so again, I'm curious to see just how much Rebel stuff they put in when Ahsoka appears, because I imagine if, you know, it's, it's, a, it's several years after episode six at this point now, I'm curious to see how did their search for Ezra go? Is she still with Sabine? Are they, you know, kind of still searching for him? And how is she going to take a quote unquote interruption if this Mandalorian comes along and is like, here, have my baby? <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Um, so how do, you, how do you think Ahsoka's going to play at this? I I think Ahsoka's probably going to turn up at the very last episode. But it's, it's so interesting because once you introduce a Jedi to uh, a series like this, like it's almost like Ahsoka wins, lol. I don't know. I didn't say like, if Ahsoka f helps, uh, say, Din, uh, Moff Gideon to get the uh, Darksaber back, or I think the series might, like, they're bringing Ahsoka in and it might lead to a tease of them trying to claim Mandalore or claim parts of it or fight back some of the more Imperial resistance. What I'd like to see is this be a bridge series, the season three, if that makes sense. I don't want mm -hmm. things like Moff Gideon to be sort of eradicated in the series yet yeah. and sort of things. It's so interesting because I don't know how, again, like... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I like Jedi to be treated as they are... they basically destroy and they can win sort of a lot of battles unless you've got so specific troopers designed for certain things or anything like that. So I'm just, I'm so interested in, so I can find out how they're going to bring something like that into such a grounded show so far. Like even yeah. having the jetpack at the very end of last season felt like there were stepping the show up a level. Now it feels like we're just about to go, we've kind of gone up a level already. And we're going to go up again. So it's so interesting seeing how these are going to play into the next few episodes. It, it's, like, and have we still got Boba Fett hanging around? Like, I, I yeah. don't know what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the, the one consolation I can give you there is that in order to get the Darksaber ethically, you have to defeat your opponent in single yeah. combat. So I would assume that Bo-Katan will face Moff Gideon closer towards the end of the series, or at least I would hope so. You know, there is also the, the maybe the thought that maybe Din will fight Moff Gideon, although I don't think he wants the responsibility of <laughs> ruling Mandalore or whatever, even though the show is called The Mandalorian, so maybe that's what they're building to. I have no idea. Um, on the topic of just the fact that, you know, Moff Gideon was around in this episode, and it's just great to see Giancarlo Esposito just having a great yeah. time because he's just wonderful. Um, I was, I'm really fascinated by just the history that I really want, the main, the main takeaway I had from this episode wasn't really just, you know, oh my God, I'm so excited to see Bo-Katan, oh my God, I'm so excited to see Ahsoka Tano. I was really curious to, to learn more about his history with Mandalore and why he's got such a deep connection with Mandalore in terms of, you know, he was involved in the Mandalorian purges, um, I want to know how far back his ties go because it seems as though he is mostly concerned with Mandalorian clans and how he came into possession of the Darksaber. That's like, obviously, I'm still really excited and interested to learn all about, you know, looking for other Mandalorians and finding out more of the child's origins. But right now, the main takeaway that I have is like, wow, I want to know the beef between Bo-Katan and, and, and Moff Gideon. I need to know more of this. I also like that he's not a bumbling imperial. He seems like he's clever, and he seems like Tarkin-esque. He seems Thrawn-esque. Mm. He seems sort of like mid in between both of them, where yeah. like he's like a hell of a lot more violent. And like I like a compelling like a baddie that can sort of like hold their own, and is just like scared. And like this show was already so interesting. And then you know, I'm not saying my interest leans on the interest of that now, but Moff Gideon is sort of like the specter in the background that everything I feel like is going to lead up to, whether it is 
like on Mandalore at some point or like around that sort of like, so, so the Mandalorian sort of who's going to claim about the saber. Like we, we've seen duels like this in, was it rebels when Maul faced, uh, uh I passes my name off for the darks for the, for he, that was in clone wars, Maul for previsler and yeah. to get the dark saber. Yeah. And like seeing sense, seems like that. He's saying like, can Moff Gideon hold himself up, hold his own in like a fight like that against someone, whether it be, um, uh, any of the any of our main cast like mm-hmm. he is just he, he's ultimately he's now become one of my most interesting players like, i want i want to read it i want to have a book about him i want i want this yeah. i want that i want more i don't want need to i know shows shouldn't lean on like supplementary stuff like films shouldn't lean on books to explain everything in the background or Fortnite. uh but i really <laughs> want um i really want to know more about his character and he's ultimately like up there is like one of my favorite sort of like star wars villains already and he's just so compelling. And John Carter has been there. He plays the bad, the bad guy in everything I've seen him in so perfectly now. Yeah, yeah. He's just so good. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing more of him in the show. And one thing I kind of also wanted to point out with this episode is that I thought it was another stellar effort from Bryce Dallas Howard. You know, she did the, uh, the chapter four in season one, the Seven Samurai episode, which I thought was very good at the time. But again, I, I kind of thought that Whereas the first two episodes, and not to say that I didn't like them because I did even last week's, which kind of meandered. I, I kind of want to say that both of those previous episodes that we've had, they kind of meandered and, and weirdly in different places. And even though they certainly felt cinematic at times, there were moments where it definitely felt a little bit static. This episode, I thought, was one of the most cinematic Mandalorian installments we've had so far. And that might be down yeah. to the fact that it was very action heavy. You know, we got a lot of great sequences or whatever. But I genuinely think, you know, um, Bryce Dallas Howard did a, a really good job with this episode and i again i, I love the fact that the show is po- you know pooling together so many different talents and filmmakers in terms of who else gets to do what but yeah it definitely felt tighter to me as an episode even though it was still written by jean favreau i will say that what this show is doing is humanizing a lot of the alien races within mm. styles as well rather than just making squealing noises like we're having conversations with some of them now. They want to wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, there is, I mean, it was great having the Slagius Crumb-esque thing on the Spitfire like last season, but just nice to see uh, if just, uh, as I so was, was, was feeling more lived in and feel like more like it's an environment and there's danger around every corner, even for someone like Din Djarin. But yeah, the whole cinematic vibe I drive with. But I also like how they can sim- like sort of simply solve problems, like just to open a door and just shovel the Imperials out of a yeah. bed, sort of thing, things like that. But then um, I don't know if the Imperial guy was named who was leading that cruiser, um, who was ordered by uh, Moff Gideon to basically just nose that. Nah, just give up now. Just I'd rather have it destroyed than let it fall into the hands of the Mandalorian. And as he sort of like, I mean, in old spy thrillers, like especially around sit around like sort of like the Second World War, like some people could have like cyanide capsules in yeah. their molars, and him sort of biting down and uh, shocking himself, like reminded me of that sort of like espionage thing going on around that sort of time. And I really do feel like. They might not harken on Moff Gideon be so much of like an actual Nazi, even though we know like the Imperials are kind of like space Nazis. But I feel mm-hmm. like he's he's gonna fall into obsession of like he wants. I think 
his whole thing is like, nah, the Mandalorian stuff, this is all like, they're a warrior race, but I can prove that I'm better than them sort of thing. Yeah, I wonder if he's just fascinated with Mandalorian culture. I wonder if that's a dynamic that's going on there. And like you said, he kind of wants to, to almost like dominate the planet and take on their culture. It was, it was, with Thrawn, his whole motivation really was that he was curious and respectful. Um, <laughs> obviously, that didn't manifest in the most healthy ways ever. But he was, there was a core element of respect there. I am, I'm curious to see whether, whether Gideon feels the same way or not. Um, it's, it's funny yeah. with Thrawn because he's always playing like two games where he's trying to be like in with the Emperor and Vader and everyone else but he's also doing this so it detracts from them ever being attracted to uh, his clan out in the um, uh, past the room like he's trying to like help them so that they, mm-hmm. they, there's no conflict there and like we've seen this in like some of the uh, I think it's, uh, the second aftermath book uh, name escapes me I'm very sorry but the Imperial who is controlling Kashyyyk like he's obsessed with controlling Kashyyyk and be like the strongest on that planet and he won't he will fight to the last man even though when like the whole galaxy is lost but I like how these Imperial sort of like um, uh, Imperials are scattered across the galaxy and w- without the galaxy being sort of like the goal now it's the planet or their section of it and yes. they're going to hold on to the they're dug in they're entrenched and they're not letting go yeah, I mean, that's, that's been one of the most exciting things for me reading a bunch of the Expanded Universe stuff. It's kind of been learning more about that transition between the New Republic and, you know, the Empire going into the First Order and the Resistance and looking at how the Imperials were very, you know, factionalized. You know, you have obviously Ray Sloan, who was like kind of the big, you know, yeah. guiding force of the main Imperial contingent, but you, you definitely had a lot of the case where with the with no emperor to terrorize them all these power hungry madmen were desperate to exert whatever control they could have uh so again that's another that's another interesting element is moff gideon um you know beholden to the 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 imperial dream as it were or is this more of a personal thing the fact that he was able to you know kind of say long live the empire and get um his his busy mate to choke on an electric cyanide pill or whatever it was kind of implies that he is still beholden to the imperial legacy but like you said i i'm I'm so fascinated by the character and i automatically want to learn more about him yeah and i feel like um it's weird because if there was like say there's always scope to styles when lucas first wrote the the screenplay and stuff there's more of the grand effects i feel like some like a tarkin might have not gone in that Mm -hmm. first film sort of thing and i feel like almost like uh moff gideon is reliving this sort of fantasy of like not fantasy but this sort of like this higher up sort of imperial that is frankly as we as we know now just a human who is sort of like i think he because he's so well known that when every time his name is uttered someone either sort of like shivers or was like well i'm gonna off myself because if he, <laughs> if he, i could take you to them but then i'm just gonna get eradicated anyway so i'd rather die now but i'd rather get electrocuted in the face than meet moff gideon and have him lecture me about e- e11 repeating blaster or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah those those were, those were new guns that we no, those were new blasters that we saw on that ship there i don't think we've seen those before they were so. like a they were like a, a mixture between the heavy blasters we've seen in the first order and and you know the ones that we've seen in the traditional imperial arsenal i will say before we wrap this up i've got two things that i kind of want to talk about one is the speculate we'll we'll talk about we'll speculate on the next episode in a little bit but um i kind of want to talk about the child briefly as well and um 
And one of the theories that's been going around recently is that the child is showing more and more signs of kind of being drawn towards the dark side. And I thought that was definitely kind of accentuated by last, last week's episode, but the fact that he was literally like eating that poor frog lady's children. But conversely, in this episode, we got to see him kind of learn and, and grow a little bit. You know, he gets, he gets to live with the frog people for about a day and, yeah. you know, gets to look as the, the eggs hatch into cute little tadpoles and then into to frogs. And I don't think he was trying to eat the frog when it was jumping around, at least I hope not. Um, but kill, again, kill is what the, bit the child was saying, kill. He's just so hungry, man. He just wants to eat everything. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think about the child's usage here? Because I thought it wasn't, you know, whenever you have a really cutesy character, there's always a danger that you'll just insert it for the pops and just kind of, you know, have it detract from the main story. But I thought the way they were used here was very natural and organic and charming. And I am quite liking the development, however subtle it may be, that we're getting with the character. Very reserved here. I don't, because I was afraid that the child was going to become like the, I'm going to just force heal you the whole time yeah. sort of thing. And I loved when uh, the child was kicked into the water. I was like, that's what you get for murdering children. <laughs> ben Roy little... Turner, I loved when the child was kicked into the water. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> and the giant scary monster thing just came over. Oh, nope, see you later. Like, uh, there's no, no tension there because obviously, you know, that's not how the child's going to end. But I laughed because like, that's what you get for murdering people. That's what you get for murdering kids. <laughs> he did get just... absolutely punted like. <laughs> yeah, it was so, it was so good. It was like, oh, gone. Yeah. Uh, it was very, it was, no, I liked it. It was reserved and they don't feel the need to, let's take the child onto the raiding mission because imagine them all flying up and they're just this ball. Just to recreate the bit from Fast and Furious with Jason Statham and the baby. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I, I like that the child can be sort of like left to the side for an episode. And, and I, 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 I thought it was good. I thought it was good use of child. And obviously now it is like a world around like baby Yoda is a thing and baby Yoda is going to like, uh, what is season three eventually comes around. Like it's, it might be just called Mandalorian season three. Nah, it's baby Yoda season three sort of thing. But <laughs> right now I'm happy with the usage and it was an improvement from last episode, I would say. Yeah, and then looking forward to the next episode, chapter 12. Um, what are your hopes and dreams for this next episode? I'm assuming that Mando is just, you know, we, we kind of, we end this one with him going off into space to assumedly come to Ahsoka. Um, I'm going to say now, uh, I just hope that he doesn't run into any interruptions. I, I think I don't want him to, I don't want the Razor Crest to like make a, like a funny, like shitty, shitty bang, bang noise. And then it breaks down and then he has to get towed to the, the nearest like yeah. station. And then he doesn't have enough like liquid money to pay for anything. I want this to actually, you know, be something that um, he gets there fast. Cause we've got a real sense of momentum with the show now and I don't want it to lose it. I'm looking forward to seeing Ahsoka. I'm fingers crossed that Sabine will make an appearance as well. Um, but yeah, I feel as though this episode here was where season two kind of finally arrived. It's weird because there's so many elements to this now. There's so many characters. Like I was thinking in my head, like, do I want a Moff Gideon episode? Like, but mm. then again, I I do. Uh, it is one of my gripes when shows start being on momentum. Like that when some shows do, especially towards the end of a season, and then we get a flashback episode, which is always nice and warranted. But it's they always seem to be placed in the wrong time. Like right mm. now, I'd say give me like a Moff Gideon episode almost. But then does that now that they've name dropped a? I'll be down for that. Like 
I would, I'd be happy with that if he went to where Ahsoka was and she wasn't there. But if we have a Moff Gideon episode and then uh, Din Djarin arrives at the end, we get Ahsoka. Uh, I'm, I'm split because these episodes all seem so short as well. Mm. But I, I think I, at some point I need a Moff Gideon episode. And I feel like this show could almost survive by having, like, say, five minutes of Din Djarin in it and then cut into other stuff almost now. It's, it's weird saying that, but then I feel like we, the show is going, will go from strength to strength and it doesn't always have to rely on the central character. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, let us know what you thought of this week's Mandalorian episode down in the comments below or reach out to us on social media if you have been listening. Remember, you can find more What Culture Star Wars content on What Culture Star Wars. Please go check us out if you haven't already. It's a brand new channel. We've got all sorts of stuff dedicated to the galaxy far, far away and plenty of more things to come. But as always... I have been Ewan. You can catch me on Twitter if you'd like to, at Ewan Ruins Things. And today I was joined by Ben Roy Turner, who you can follow on Twitter at... At Ben Roy Turner. And we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye. This is the way. This is the way. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.